Hey, welcome to the Headwaters Church Podcast. My name is Luke Such. I'm Scott Minema. And today we are talking about what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Big picture Christian understanding. What is the gospel? Of all of the topics that we're going to talk about over the next however many months, why start with the gospel? It's a good question. We'll get to that in just a moment. Scott, we're back. Yeah, so you know we're starting uh, we're starting our podcast with uh, just what is the gospel, and uh, there are so many there's so many things that are culturally relevant, mm. um, top of mind. Why start here? Sure. Yeah, we could start with all kinds of different things that are pertinent, interesting, yeah. needed, but for us as Christians. It is absolutely necessary to start with an understanding of the gospel because the gospel, if you think of the Christian life as a wheel, the gospel is the hub and everything else is a spoke that comes off of that hub. It holds everything else together because it tells us who we are, who God is, and what we are to do, right? It it explains, it is the Christian story in its most fundamental Mm. terms. So what would you say to the person who's hears this right now and says gospel? I mean, yeah, I, I get the gospel. I'm I'm gonna tune out right now. Right. Um <laughs> you need you, I, we, all, uh, Christians mm. and believers all need to grapple with the truth of that story, not just at a moment to be saved. Okay, that's in my rearview mirror. I've got that now. Let's go forward with everything else. We need that for our lives. Ongoing, present, progressive. It, it is It is needed now. It is needed in our past. It is needed in our future to understand who Christ is, who we are in light of that. And that should inform everything else that we live. And we Scott, we forget. <laughs> we yeah. forget so quickly. I, I, I have to be in the regular habit of reminding myself who I am in light of who Christ is, how that should affect my behavior. There's a reason why we're given the ordinance of communion and told you have to do this to remember, right? You're going to forget. So Jesus brilliantly, I mean, you know, with all of the wisdom of the divine insight, tells us, do this in remembrance. Don't don't forget this central, I'm giving my life for you, do this in remembrance of me. In many ways, that uh, a- that act of communion is a call to remember the gospel. I appreciate, and I think we need to uh, we need to unpack that a little bit. I appreciate what you said about, you know, it it, it informs and instructs every part of our life. Yes. I don't know that I always think about that. I think mm. sometimes when I think about the gospel, I think about it as it relates to salvation. Yep. Um, as you pointed out in one conversation, we had justification. I don't always think about how the gospel carries over and permeates and is a thread that is woven through every aspect of my life. So I think in the, in our time here, we we want to spend a little bit of time there. But why don't we just why don't we just start with what is the gospel? How would you define the right. gospel? Yeah. So uh, there's there's some play in the word, right? It gets mm. used in multiple different ways. So sometimes you just hear good news, right? And, and that is true, absolutely accurate. The gospel is good news. 
Um, at one level, it is the grand story of Scripture, but a little bit more narrowly and hopefully more helpfully, the, the gospel focuses on the redemption of humanity that is offered as a result of the work of Christ. And more, as we zoom out a little bit there, it, it follows the arc of all history, that the universe was created by a good, all-powerful God, right? God is holy, and he creates by his very word. And while all of creation was inherently good, it was then perverted by sin, right? This is the story in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. It was perverted by sin. That sin that began in Adam is now present in all people, and it creates a separation between God and humanity. As a result of that separation, we, we are forced out of our harmonious relationship that we were created to be in, and now we have a problem, and what's worse, we have no way to remedy said problem. We need, and that really, in, in many ways, Scott, that's the story of the Old Testament, right? Mm. It's the, the people of God who are chosen who continually fall short of the law's requirements to be in right relationship with God. To be in right relationship with God, you must be holy. No mess-ups. Well, read the Old Testament. <laughs> You're not going to find anybody who's going to come anywhere near to that. It, 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 God's people are plagued by failure over and over and over again. Yeah, Galatians 3 says that the law was a schoolmaster right. or a teacher to show us what you just pointed out. Yeah, so if you could picture that, like this disciplinarian teacher who's looking over your shoulder, watching every move you make, and when you slip up, immediately pointing and shining a spotlight on it. That's the law. Mm. Okay, so that's that's the problem, right? We've, we've sinned. We've been separated from God. We have no way to remedy this fact because we are sinful people, and the law shows us that we are sinful. That's bad news. That is bad news, but the gospel is good news. So how is it good news? Well, we need a redeemer. We need someone else to fix the problem that we created. We need someone else to do that for us. The good news is that God takes on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. So he sends his son, Jesus, to take on flesh, to take the punishment of sin that we deserve. We, we uh, talk about this in two different ways. Uh, Christ takes our punishment and he gives us his righteousness if by the grace of God and through faith you have received him. Both directions, right? He takes the punishment of our sin. He gives us the, uh, the, the merit that he has earned of being righteous. And that is where the good news comes in. So God takes on flesh in the person of Jesus, takes the punishment that we deserve, gives us righteousness that is not our own. He lives a perfect life. He's persecuted, crucified, killed, buried, raises again, and ascends into heaven. And through that work, God graciously offers forgiveness to all people so that he can be glorified. So that is a uh, kind of a little bit of a meandering way through, but touching a lot of the important points of what the gospel story is. Yeah, what I, what I, uh, as you were talking, I appreciated that you spent the time talking about the bad news. Um, I think we hear this said once in a while, but sometimes this may be, you know, again for um, for some of us, just the idea of. Um, when we go to the gospel, we think of the gospel being good news, and it is. And it is. But if I don't understand the bad news, yep. the good news isn't all that good. If I don't understand that I am 
lost, I am God's enemy, that I am without hope, Sure. then frankly, the good news isn't all that good. Yeah, the depths of the darkness yeah. make the light that much brighter and more beautiful mm. and more delightful because you know how lost you were without it. And, and then it's straight from Jonathan Edwards. The gospel mm. must first be bad news before it can be good news. Mm. You have to understand your lostness and your sin to fully appreciate the beauty of the Redeemer. So let me try to summarize, at least from the standpoint, what I think I've heard you say on as far as the gospel, the good news portion of it is that... Yep is really is that that God, in a demonstration of his infinite love and grace, sent Jesus, his son, to live a life that we couldn't live, mm-hmm. to yes. suffer the wrath that we deserve to suffer, and he conquered the enemy that we couldn't conquer. Right. That is good news. That is the <laughs> good news right there. Definite article, the good news. So as we talk about that, that is clearly is connected to our salvation, our great salvation, yes. our adoption, our justification, the whole package, if you will, that comes to us as a result of our union with Christ. And I think for a lot of us in the church, we we think about salvation in those terms. Can you talk a little bit about what are just some of the, the frequently missed aspects, though, of the gospel? Yeah. Um, yes, it has everything to do with our great salvation, but what? how does it how does it affect me on Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon and Thursday night? Yeah, we've already talked about this. Um, often missed is the sanctification aspect of it, the the implications of the gospel to your life. So uh, one of the passages that always comes to my mind is in 1 Peter 2.24, that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, right? That's justification. He took our sins. But then you get this very, very interesting line, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. You're like, that's sanctification. Wait a minute. By his wounds we were healed. So sandwiched in between the punishment and the the death of Christ and the sin-giving work, or sin-taking, excuse me, work that, that Christ does, right in the middle of that is a call for your own personal holiness. Mm. Often missed in gospel conversations is that you were saved so that you can die to sin and live for righteousness. So you're saying it's not only a, a message that that changes by destination, but it's a it's a, a message that is supposed to change my heart and mind here and now. Yes, yes. Well, you're made new now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not anticipating a made new state, although th- there is right this this tension of you've been made new, but you're still in this broken world and you still have a, a sinful nature. That being said, you've already died. We looked at that just recently in Galatians 2.20. You've been crucified with Christ. Your old life is gone. You're made new right now. The The, the transition, the transformation has already taken place. So what are some ways, the gospel changes my relationship to God, but what are some ways then that the gospel changes my relationship to everything else? And more Mm -hmm. specifically, how does the gospel change my, affect how I view my my life, specifically my circumstances and my relationships? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's really helpful to understand that if you have been redeemed by Christ and you have an eternal hope in heaven that is held 
and you, you find this in Romans 8, held by the secure hand of the Almighty God. There's no more secure place, right? It doesn't matter what investment strategy you have or if it's backed FDIC or not, you have all kinds of risk in this world. But in the next world, if you've been saved by grace, then you have backing up, right? The, the security of your salvation rests in God's ability to fulfill what he's promised, not in your ability to live it out, it, not in your certainty, not in your clarity. It rests in God's ability to fulfill his promises, which is an immensely relieving truth, mm. <laughs> immensely relieving. So if you have that, this unshakable hope of heaven in your future, because it's brought to you by the redeeming work of Christ, well, if you can keep that thought front and center, right? And, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment. Like the gospel is needed to be kept front and center. Again, we just said you, you forget, but it's an, you know, an old adage. If you focus on something, you'll see it. So if you've ever had the experience of buying a new car and then you drive around and you see that car everywhere, <laughs> like, oh, I, I never saw this gold Toyota Camry anywhere else before. And now I see it everywhere I go. It was always there. You just weren't noticing it. Well, if you can keep the gospel front and center in your thinking, it will change your dynamic to your relationships, to your circumstances, because it changes your hope, where your hope is. I no longer am completely throttled by the broken relationship or the broken circumstance that I'm in because it doesn't change the hope I have in heaven. So you can find this all over the place, particularly in Paul's writings where he'll, he'll say things like in Romans 5 that he rejoices in his sufferings. You're like, what in the world? How do you rejoice in your suffering? Well, because suffering produces hope, right? Like eventually he goes through this list, right? Endurance and character and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame. What he's connecting for you is the truth that because he has a hope in heaven, his broken circumstances in the now remind him of the greater hope that he has in heaven. Yeah. Yeah, it that that's one of the things that always kind of um I don't know, made me made me wonder is you know, even in Philippians four, when Paul talks about um not being anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And it's just practically I'm thinking, Lord, look at this look at the circumstances I'm in. You know, yeah. we we know people that are going through just really deep waters mm -hmm. and and how does the gospel? You you talked about having eternity in view. It 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 gives me an eternal view, and that is absolutely true. But even in the hope of the moment, what it, what Paul talked about in Philippians four, I thought, Lord, how can I be thankful? You know, I mean, I'm commanded to be thankful, but how can I be thankful with all of this going on? And as I began to you know understand the broader picture and just what God is doing in in suffering, is that there is an eternal view, but there is a hope, a here and now hope, because Romans 8, 29 tells me that he's using all yes. of my pain, all of my yeah. suffering in order, not just for good, like some obscure, random, I don't know what the good is, but but it's it, the good is producing in me a conforming a conformance into the image of Christ. So in in my suffering, in my sin, God is actually using those things to help me to become more like Christ. I want to become more like Christ. I do. I mean, and I think we all do, but my idea of becoming like Christ is 
you know, I want to take a couple of pills, go to bed and wake up in the morning and be like Be Jesus, Jesus, right? <laughs> yes. Call him Jesus pills. And it, it, but it doesn't work that way. You know, you got a marketing strategy right there. You can come <laughs> up with that one. Yeah. I, okay. I really like that point. It helps you say the hope that the gospel produces is both future and now. Mm-hmm. It, it, it gives purpose to the brokenness of now because it is, if you have a, a a big God theology that understands God is using that brokenness to shape and form you and grow you in Christ-likeness. None of us grow in, in comfort and peace. Oh, I, I wish I could say, right, and, and you can think about this in a more biological way, right? You, you don't get stronger by laying on the couch. You get stronger by doing difficult things, working out in the gym, and what is working out? It breaks down your muscle to build it back up stronger. Mm-hmm. That the same principle applies in the life of a believer. The brokenness of relationship and and circumstances, God uses for your good and His glory. Yeah. That is a hopeful message for now and for the future. And I can be thankful for that. Well, yes. So in that, I can be I can be thankful for my current circumstances, my current difficult relationships, yep. because yep. I know that God's using them to produce in me something that I could not do on my own. And so I can be genuinely thankful. Yes. Right. Um, so, so when we talk about, you know, we've in my marriage, we talk about the gospel. How does the gospel? I come home, and from from work, and I'm in a grouchy mood. How does the gospel instruct, inform my wife, my children, or maybe? Maybe I, you know, somebody else comes home and they're grouchy. And yep. how does the gospel instruct and inform those kind of moments of my life? I mean, I, I, you know, we, we understand more or less how it applies to our salvation. But mm-hmm. when we talk about sanctification, those again, as one author talks about those mundane moments of our life, how does the gospel? What yeah. does it look like right. in those moments? Right. Again, I, I think it's a matter of can you remember, right? Can, can you have a good theological memory that doesn't forget what Christ has done for you? Because if you keep that front and center, you come home, you're frustrated, right? I, walk, I have four young kids. You, when I walk in the house, um, my wife's had an uphill battle for the day. It, it's been tough, trying to raise four tiny people is just, it's just a tall, it's a tall order for anybody um, or any group of people. I mean, you put a, a, two adults to each child and it's still going to be hard. Um, if, if she can have that mindset of Colossians chapter three, when I walk through the door that I have been forgiven much. Mm. I, in fact, I've been forgiven everything more than I even know, right? My sinfulness goes deeper than even I know, and yet Christ forgave you. And so, as Paul says in Colossians 3, just as Christ forgave you, you are to forgive others. So I walk through the door and I'm like, well, I'm, I had a long day. Why? I, I expect to just be fed and taken care of. And, and that she was waiting, right, for me to get home to give her a little bit of relief. And instead, I came home expecting her to relieve me of the weight of my day. And we both were selfish. Um, not that this would ever happen, sweetheart. I love no. you very much. No, no, no. no. Um, and, and if she or if I, either direction, can look at each other and say, man, I was expecting you 
to lift the weight off of my shoulders and you've put more on top. And you can easily see that situation, which plays out millions of times across this country every single day. You can see that situation descending into bitterness and frustration. But what Paul tells you to do, no, 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 no. You were to have the attitude of Christ towards that person. Christ forgave when they didn't deserve it. Christ forgave those who were so unworthy. And it changes how you interact with people because you look at them the way that Christ looked at you. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, I'm, I'm reminded, I think, it was, I think it was John Piper in his book, This Momentary Marriage, talked about the very thing you're talking about, the gospel, and, and how it affects these moments of our life. And he talked about, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but he talks about, as, as, I'm, as I'm thinking on the gospel and all mm-hmm. the things that come to, have came to me and come to me vertically, grace and mercy yep. and peace and long-suffering and forgiveness. As I'm thinking on that and meditating on that, he, he says we, we bend that horizontally mm. to others in our life. It's just a great picture, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, is. that's good. And, and so what you're saying is I can't, I'm not going to bend it horizontally to others if I'm not taking it in vertically, yes. right? Yes. You know, Paul talked about, intoxication, not being drunk with wine. I think I love that term from the standpoint of when I'm intoxicated with the gospel, when Mm -hmm. I'm drinking it in, when I'm taking it, it's going to control me. It's, that's what it means to be controlled by the spirit. Right. Right. And it, it, I can't, in those moments when the heat of life comes at me, circumstances, relationships, I'm going to bend that horizontally to others. I can't help but because it's it's what I've been taking in. You've been so saturated yeah. with the beauty of who Christ is and what he's done for you that if you wring you out, the gospel is what pours mm. out of you in every way. Yeah. 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 So to the back, all the way up to the question, what do people frequently miss? That it should be applied all over the place, yeah. all over the place. Yeah, the gospel is not just about our salvation, but yes. it's as you, when... When we're saved, the sanctification process begins, and right. so uh, the gospel is all about how I how I live out the moments of my life. Yeah, and just real quick on and still on this point on the the transition from as soon as you are justified, sanctification begins. The big thing that enables that, right, which we saw in First Peter two, but the, the kind of broad uh, biblical theology category is the law changes its location. Hmm. So previously, the law was written on tablets of stone that are outside of me, critiquing, right? Like, like showing me my inability. Every time I come up short, the law is there to show me that I'm sinful. But you find in Jeremiah 31, right? The new covenant. The law is now written not on tablets of stone. Where does it go? It's written on, my heart. On, it's written on your heart. So now the beauty of the law is emanating out from me. It isn't exterior critiquing. It is interior emanating forth. It is, it is something that now is written on my heart and is, uh, just shows up. It just the, the beauty of holiness is something that just flows out of you um, as, as the gospel takes hold. Two, two other quick things on frequently missed, and we don't need to spend as much time on these. Frequently, I find people miss in their definitions of the gospel to remember that the resurrection needs to be included in there. Christ didn't just die, he died and he rose again. So that one sometimes gets missed. You can find that in some very good, respectable evangelical books on their definition and go, oh, you, you forgot to add that he rose. Yeah, yeah. And 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 is Hebrews does 
just unpacks this so well, but but he's also interceding. I mean, it's sure. part of the gospel, right? Sure. Yeah. The location of Christ, mm. and, and that's the image, right, of, of your sinfulness creeping up again, even though you've been saved. You, you're sinful, and the wrath of God gets kindled towards you, and then Christ sitting at the right hand interceding for you steps in and says, nope, that one's paid for. I've already paid for that sin. That's covered, that is covered, that is covered. And if he's not risen from the grave and sitting at the right hand of the Father, you don't have that hope. You, you need somebody not just to save you from the moment that you prayed and to receive salvation, but also continually as you keep going. So resurrection. And then secondly, one that I, I think people frequently miss that is, is really important to grapple with is the ultimate purpose for why this came about, right? And, and you can find the bedrock as soon as you keep drilling down why, 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 you get to the glory of God. Hmm. So the reason you are saved is for God's glory, for God's name, for, for the proclamation of his greatness to be made known and big and as much glory can be pointed towards God. Ephesians possible. 1, 5, and 6, for yes. the greatness of the glory right. and grace of God. Yes. Yeah. Let me ask you, you know, again, I, we want to move on just for the sake of time, but when we talk about things that are missed, a couple, just two quick questions. What do you think about the idea that oftentimes in the present, when we think about the gospel, even in a, in a presentation of the gospel, the need to repent and believe, is that part of the gospel message? Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, you, you can't be saved from your sin if you don't think you have anything that you need saving from, right? Re- repentance is a requirement. There, no one brings anything to the cross. I, I don't have anything to offer at the cross of Christ. If you think you do, then you didn't understand the cross. You didn't understand your sinfulness. You didn't understand what happened there. The imputation, right? I've, I've been trying to avoid the, the larger the words. theological words. <laughs> but at some point, you just can't avoid it. The imputation of my sin to Christ and of Christ's righteousness to me. If I think, well, I brought some of my own righteousness I, I brought some things to the conversation. I, I need to repent partially, 75, 95%. Well, then you think at some level you earned that salvation. And here's the, the terrifying truth of that. That means you could lose it too. If, if you brought something to the table, well, what happens if you then fall short in that area or, or what you thought you were able to do, you, your accounting wasn't very good and, and it actually came up that, what you thought was righteousness was actually sinfulness. Well, now, if it's in your hands to maintain salvation at some level, it's really fraught. It, yeah. It's fragile. It's going to fall apart. But if it's all in Christ's hands, yeah. if I repent for everything, there's nothing in me that is good. I, every, I think Calvin said that I'm sinful from the top of my head to the tip of my toe, right? Like, it's just, there's no any part of me that is not covered in sin and in need of redemption. Yeah. So yeah, repentance needed. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, um, I mean, oftentimes there's confusion on what it means to follow Jesus. And all, over and often, it's repent and believe, repent mm-hmm. and believe. The yeah, Christ- that's, that's the New Testament formula, yeah. repent and believe, yeah. for sure. And then the other question, and then we'll, we'll move on, though, is, is when we talk about often things missed, is just the, the urgent—why— why is it so important? The importance of the gospel, the yeah. urgency of the gospel. Uh, I, I, 
do you think sometimes that just gets missed? You know, I, what I have, I guess, in mind there, maybe a little more clarity is just, uh, and we're just reminded in the news again, life is short. Sure. Eternity is long. Yeah. Uh, I, I used this clip in a sermon a long time ago, but it's been a while, so I can point you back to it. Penn Jillette, the magician. You didn't know you were going to get a Penn Jillette reference today. <laughs> I, I saw the shock on your face when that name came out. The magician and a very outspoken atheist has what I would probably call a confessional video where he's, you know, he's kind of like got a downward angle looking into an iPhone and it's not very flattering. Um, but he's talking about Christians who don't proselytize, who don't share their faith. And uh, it's always so convicting because he has a better understanding of the Christian message than so many Christians. He gives this example of a Christian not proselytizing would be like a man standing on the edge of a street where someone else is in the street and there's a bus barreling down on them from behind and they don't see it and saying, well, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to offend him, right? I, I know he's about to get run over by a city bus, but I don't want to say anything because I don't want to cause any offense. And he closes that and said, it's even worse than that because you're talking about someone's eternal status, right? For, you're, you're talking about an eternity with God or separated from God. And then he concludes, I don't, I don't have any respect for Christians who don't proselytize. Like, oh, he understands the urgency of this message. <laughs> he actually gets what the gospel proclaims that the way that, that you live better reflect the glorious truth that repentance and believing is, is the question of every person's life. Have you trusted in Christ to be your source of righteousness, or are you still trying to earn it yourself? Yeah. Other than that, there, there is no, it doesn't matter what you accomplished in your, in your business practices, it doesn't matter what you did relationally, are you in Christ? And that is the question, the only question that truly matters in a person's life. Everything else is downstream from there. So as we kind of think about wrapping this up, what are some, what are some favorite passages that you think of um, and that you go back to as it relates to understanding the gospel? Yeah, I, I already gave one, 1 Peter 2, 24. I love that verse. Uh, Romans 5, 8 always comes to mind. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, it's incredibly important to understand that. And then one that always jumps to me is, is in the, the Romans 3 section, right? This, this understanding that uh, God is at the same time just and the justifier because of Jesus Christ. He, he is rightfully pouring out his wrath on sin, either in the great white throne judgment at the end of days or on Christ at the cross, all sin will be uh, receiving the righteous wrath of God. So understanding that dynamic there, that we are all sinners, oh no, we are in trouble, but now a righteousness has been made available apart from the law in Christ Jesus, and it is through that righteousness that God can be just and the justifier. So there's a few that jump out to mind. How about you? Yeah, I don't, a um, number of them. I think, you know, coming out of the celebration of the birth of Christ, there's a number of them right in Isaiah, yeah. Isaiah 53, sure. 4, 5, and 6, Titus 3, 5, right? Not, Not by, by works, works of righteousness, righteousness yeah. that we have done. Those would be some. I think, you know, going back to the discussion on how the gospel um, instructs our, our sanctification, I love 
love how, I mean, Paul was all about the gospel. He was laser focused on the mm. gospel. And, and we talk about this a lot in, in our counseling training, but, you know, Philippians or Ephesians, for example, you know, the first three chapters are, are gospel. Um, they're, yep. We talk about gospel indicatives, but things that are in, indicative of who we are, you mentioned earlier, who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ. Paul teed all of that up you know, in chapters one through three, before he talked about the commands, um, you know, in four, five, and six, or Colossians one and two before three and four. So even some of that, what does it look like practically? I think we see in, you know, we see in the epistles. Well, I'm looking at the, uh, I'm looking at the clock and maybe a good place to kind of take a soft landing. What are some good resources for folks that you know, want to maybe learn more about what we're talking about. Um, what are some of your go-tos? Yeah. Uh, well, first and always start with your Bible. Don't don't listen to what someone else tells you about your Bible. Go read your Bible. You, you can do it. Go pick up the Gospel of John. Read about who the person of Christ is. Grapple with that. Read read Romans. Try to grapple with the, the, the argument that Paul lays out here for the lostness of humanity and the great redemption we have in Christ. So, Always, and if we don't mention it from here on out, that that is an implied first resource every time, all right? Uh, just a few others, though. The Gospel Primer is always useful. It's a very, very manageable size of a Mil- book. Milton Vincent? Yes. Uh, how many pages? I mean, under 100 pages, yeah. probably. And uh, it is written for you to be able to start your day being exactly what we've talked about, be reminded of the story of the gospel in one manner or another. Uh, it, it's in poetic form and in propositional form. Go grapple with the, the truth of the gospel. Um, the New City Catechism is, if you want a more siloed version, will walk you through the truth of the gospel at a big, broad level. It's, it's really well done. Um, Mark Dever's book, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism, is great. And then one other that I, I generally go to, Greg Gilbert's book, What is the Gospel? Yeah. That's um, on my list. Is it? Yeah. Right. What else do you have? Yeah, uh, the Gospel by Ray Ortland. Yeah. You know, again, out of uh, out of the Nine Marks group, along the idea of how does the Gospel um, instruct you know the moments of my life, my relationships. This is an oldie but a goodie. But Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, mm-hmm. um, is just a a great book on how the Gospel, how do you know, dealing with conflict in my life, um, how the Gospel just looks practically. Great. So, well, good. This has been a great discussion. Thank you, Luke. Absolutely helpful. Anything else we need to say before we uh, get out of here? No, it's, uh, we, we look forward to uh, our next time together. Lord willing, uh, in a week, we'll, uh, we'll see you then. Sounds good. Stop. Yeah.